You're listening to the Bomb Girls Beacon, a podcast dedicated to the television series Bomb Girls. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And sadly, Annie can't join us for this recording. But we will we will soldier on without her. But first, a spoiler warning. We will be discussing primarily the first two seasons of Bomb Girls, but there might be a couple little spoilers from the movie Facing His Enemy as well. We're going to try to not talk about that as much, though. No big spoilers, we promise. So we're going to be talking about Vera Burr this episode. And for a little bit of Canadian World War II background info, Canada really wasn't prepared for the scale of World War II. But but when they re- started recruiting efforts, Ontario was apparently hit pretty hard by the Depression. So they actually accounted for a third of the recruits. So it was mostly unemployed people and British immigrants that were the ones who immediately responded to the recruitment efforts. And then for for Vera, for the drink special for Vera's episode, we we went with a Singapore sling, which was a, a popular drink for that time period. And it has a ton of ingredients. We chose it because we thought it was it was kind of fun sounding and and Vera's generally even though she has some darker storylines, she's kind of a fun gal. So it has two ounces of gin, three quarters of an ounce of cherry brandy, two teaspoons Benedictine, two teaspoons Cointreau, two ounces of pineapple juice, three quarters of an ounce of fresh lime juice, two dashes of grenadine, and a dash a dash of Angostura bitters and soda water to taste. We, we <laughs> It's quite a drink, and, and Vera's quite a gal. So, Well said. How'd you like my segue? <laughs> I like it. Thank you. Very nice. So Vera, yeah, I find kind of interesting. She, she, when we meet her, she's very much because because Brown Girls has this tendency to present us with these kind of easily recognizable kind of tropes for these women, and then throughout the series, they really take those those tropes and take them in different directions and try to break those kind of stereotypical roles open. And so when we meet Vera, she's very much the glamour girl in the first episode. And while I think that stays with her throughout the series, that becomes a big piece of sort of her her main storyline throughout the series in regards to her appearance. Right. That's something that Bomb Girls does pretty consistently, as you mentioned, that they'll introduce a character as a certain type of character, and then they gradually either layer things on or subvert that in some way, which of course we see with Vera and her accident that happens pretty immediately in the series. It happens in the first episode. And it's always very gruesome whenever I, I, the couple of times I've watched the pilot with people they're you know, they're like, Oh, this is going on along. This is a fun show. This is interesting. Oh my God, what just happened? It, it, I think it really comes out of nowhere for a lot of people. They don't expect to see that, but it's, that's happened to women who are working in those factories. Yeah. But yes, and of course, the fact that in the series, it's sort of a result of Vera and her her focus on being essentially kind of vain. The, they mentioned earlier in the episode something about how she sort of intentionally leaves strands of hair out to basically turn more blonde from the cordite or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they talk about the, the cordite turning them into canaries, turning them yellow. And we see how that turns out, you know, both because of her vanity and because she was distracted kind of flirting with with Marco is how she she has her factory accident. Right. So, again, it's this sort of 
introducing a character certain ways and how that affects them, you know, positively and negatively. So, but her accent is really her takes up the entire first season for her. All the first six episodes really are revolve around Vera's accident and the fallout from that. And we really do get a sense of how much her sense of self-worth was tied up in her appearance. And the fact that now she, she thinks she's ugly and is going to be, well, I mean, I can understand her freak out, I guess, you know, when you get scalped, that's pretty, pretty gruesome looking. You don't know how exactly you're going to come back from that. And if you're sort of accustomed to looking like the average person, kind of wondering how you might deal with being that different looking. I, I can I can get kind of where Vera was coming from in that regard. Not even if it wasn't just, oh, I'm not pretty anymore, but just I look so different. Right. I mean, it is, I don't know how you could go through that without being massively devastated, just because it is something that's such a huge transformation, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's not something that one could easily adjust to. Exactly. And we see, I think, you know, the writers, they they put Archie, one of her co-workers, in the hospital with her. And they really use the relationship and the contrast between what happens to Archie versus what happens to Vera to really sort of propel Vera's storyline and to help kind of bring her out of her depression. Right. And of course, it's sort of interesting the way they introduce Archie, because... Archie's pretty much a jerk <laughs> at the beginning there. And, you know, even in the hospital and I mean, Vera clearly being really skittish still, and he's still being kind of a jerk to her, which is one of those things that I kind of get why they played it that way. Because I don't know, I feel like Vera's reactions are all completely understandable because she really, I mean, understandably reacts poorly to Archie cracking jokes because, you know, basically what he says is fairly hurtful, especially since she sort of is just walking away at the time. So he's sort of literally talking behind her back. But are you talking about the cheese grater comment? I think that was what it was. Yes. Yeah, because that was the first kind of joke he cracked about her face when he got to the hospital. And I I don't really like that moment for Archie. I kind of wish the writers maybe hadn't put that one in there because I do kind of see where he's coming from later on where he's he's trying to give her this attitude where you know you just got to laugh about it because if not you're just going to cry about it and so I can kind of I can understand that coping skill but that first great crack that he makes about well you know she looks like she went through a cheese grater that's just him being mean I think it was that she made out with a cheese grater wasn't it there you go yeah something like that Right. But see, that's what I mean. I think they did that for Vera's storyline. Because, yes, I agree that that's, it's too far. Too far, Archie. And that he's not saying it to Vera. You know what I mean? Because later in the series, he's cracking jokes to Vera. Mm -hmm. And that's where they get the whole, if you got to laugh about it, otherwise you're going to cry about it. That whole exchange, which puts new light on the whole thing. But it's it feels so entirely different from that exchange. Yeah. The first time it, it, it just seems like he's just making fun of her because he does it behind her back. Right. But later on, I don't know. I, it, it, even though he comes at it with a, you got to make fun of it or you're just going to cry attitude later on, it doesn't really redeem that moment. 
Right. For me, anyway, personally. Yeah, me too. Basically, he's just being a jerk there. Yeah, you're just being a jerk. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But we we do get to see, you know, Archie realizing how depressed Vera is and recognizing that she's saving the sleeping pills in order to kill herself. And... And and then of course we have Archie taking a turn for the worst and and developing sepsis and ultimately Vera gives him her pills to help ease his pain because he's in so much pain and that you know that's just I th- it's an Armistice Day episode I believe where where that happens and it's just it's really a tough scene to watch but it's it's a nice scene I think <laughs> which sounds weird I I do kind of like it though for for Vera's character's sake. Right. I know what you're saying. I think yeah. we I think we all know what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> if I may speak for everyone who may be listening to this, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it is it's it's a moment of I think it's very clear that it's an act of compassion mm-hmm. for Vera and that it is it's a combination of her helping Archie and also sort of making a decision to keep going herself mm-hmm. since Archie can't. Mm-hmm. And I think finally, really recognizing the difference, well, not the difference, but like, you know, her kind of emotional pain that she's been experiencing and kind of this physical pain that comes with a person's life ending, you know, outside of their control. So I think it definitely kind of gives her some new perspective on what it means to sort of go forward in life, even though she may feel like she's not the same person that she was, even she feels like she's kind of lost her sense of who she was. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think it gives her a a, a better sense of, I should try to go for it because this person that I cared about cannot. Right. The, the, the difference between something you can come back from and something you can't. Exactly. Yeah. Which, you know, she's been at a hospital. You'd think she'd seen some other people, but it probably hits closer to home because it's somebody she really came to know and, and, and love like a friend that that really is what kind of gets her over her, her depression and feeling like the only way for her life to go now was for her to, to kill herself. Right. But yeah, so you, you, they have, they take this bubbly, bright person and they give her this super dark story. <laughs> As television in, does. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the first season. So she manages to, you know, come back from, her her darkest of dark places and come back to the factory to try to take her her job again. She doesn't end up moving home like she said she was going to. But, you know, she realizes she can't work on the line. She's too, she was, you know, she's particularly afraid of the stencil line, but in general, she's just not comfortable on the floor. And so she decides to try to get a job up in the office area. And while, you know, she had to use some feminine wiles, we'll say, to get the job, I, she really, I think, flourishes as as an office worker. She really does. And sort of an interesting point that our friend Sally, who, again, sent me the really long email about Bomb Girls, Sally had mentioned that really, probably without the accident, Vera never would have realized that she could do office work or that she was really good at office work. Because clearly there was a class divide between the, the factory girl employees and the office worker employees. That's where Gladys and Carol were. They were, you know, more well-to-do young women. And and the the women who were more working class were down on the, on the factory floor. So, yeah, I don't think it would have occurred to Vera to try to get an office job had she not kind of 
gotten to that point where she couldn't do the factory work anymore because of, of her emotional trauma. Right. And of course, what's interesting is they really play that up throughout the second season that, you know, Vera, because of her accident, because of her scar, there's sort of a, I don't know, that I guess it's sort of working against her in some ways, because she's less, and I'm, I'm air quoting this, she's less presentable than, let's say, Carol was or Gladys would have been. So yeah, it's sort of interesting that they play that up to, or I appreciate that they address it, I guess. And we also see, you know, in regards to her, her facial scar in, in the second season, a big storyline for her is her, her patriotute phase, which it took me a second to realize what that word was, that it was a combination of patriots and prostitutes. I was kind of confused the first time they said it. Yeah, because I, I mean, I'd never heard that term before. And And so I think it's Gladys, who maybe brings up the the concept in an episode where they talk about going to, you know, what do they call those girls? Patriotutes. And that kind of, I guess, sparks something in Vera's mind. And she actually kind of tries it out and ends up kind of liking it and uses those encounters, those, you know, nights that she spends with soldiers who are just passing through as really a way to sort of heal emotionally from her factory accident. And it's sort of interesting. There's throughout the series sort of an attitude from the other characters about the Patriotutes. You know, they're, they're looked down upon generally. But yeah, the, the fact that Vera sort of embraces it is is sort of interesting to me. Yeah, and I feel like while the characters might not look look so kindly upon the Patriotudes. I I don't feel like the show judges Vera badly right. for what she does. I think they present her storyline in a very compassionate way. Right. I mean, as you just mentioned, that she really does seem to heal through those encounters and that experience. And, and the fact that they have the whole storyline where she gets the gifts, the little gifts from the soldiers and that you know, she sort of has them in her desk drawer and everything and that she sort of treasures them, but then, but then they're used against her. So. Yeah. I, I, you know, <laughs> the first time we see her go and, and, you know, give the whole Patriot thing a try and she picks up that really cute, really cute soldier guy. I did love that scene because he, he just is walking along and he basically makes a beeline for Vera and yeah, I kind of, I liked that guy. Yeah, because she very intentionally is like, you see my scar, right? We're okay with this. And he's just like, yeah, let's go get dinner. And he seemed like a real sweetheart, that guy. He did. And so, you know, they, they have the scene where they meet and then the scene later in Vera's apartment or Vera's room. And he tells her to get something out of his out of his pocket. And it turns out that they're, you know, these silk stockings. And there's this moment when I first see it where I'm just like, oh, is Vera going to be crushed? And then she's not. And it's always a little, I'm always a little like worried how Vera will react to the fact that he gave her a gift. Because I get the sense she didn't realize that was kind of part of the process. Right. I think she thought it was just, we go out on a date and and that's that. I don't think she quite realized there was kind of an expected gift exchange, if you will. Right. She actually looks really touched when she realizes that he's giving these to her. Mm -hmm. 
it's actually very sweet in a way that you kind of wouldn't expect it to be. Yes. I think partially because that guy was so sweet. Like, she she had a good kind of first encounter, I think. Right. <laughs> um, but... He did seem very genuine. He did. He did. And we see... I, you know, it works for Vera because not only is she sort of getting this emotional self-esteem, she's getting her self-esteem built back up by these encounters. She's also, you know, as we mentioned, she's a glamour girl. She likes these nice things. She can't really afford them. She's getting these nice little gifts from from soldiers. And then I, I love actually what she says about them when in the episode, The Harder We Fight, where Carol is super mean and, you know, gets Donald to tell the entire factory that Vera's been, is a patriotute. And she's crying out in the hallway and Marco comes to find her. And, and she says to Marco, those gifts, they're like love letters. They help me remember nights when someone made me feel beautiful. Oh, yeah. So again, I think reiterating that this whole thing that she engages in, it's, you know, it's, the gifts are nice. The male attention is nice, but really it's, I, I think it's more of a of a healing thing for her than anything else. Mm-hmm. I agree. And back to the silk stockings for a moment. I believe it's that same episode where he gives those to her. I think it's I think we see Vera like drawing the lines on the back of her legs. I think you're right, yeah. Cause of course, again, the the glamour girl and the whole wanting to appear like you have the nice things. And it turns out I read somewhere that that's actually like a that was a common practice during the war. Yeah, yeah. If you couldn't afford silk stockings, you drew the lines down the back of your calves so that it looks like you were wearing them. Well, because silk was supposed to go to the war effort. Yes. So you really weren't. They they addressed that in the first episode too. That Gladys had silk stockings, and Betty kind of gives her a hard time about you know how about not using materials for stockings that are supposed to go to the war effort. Mm-hmm. And then she gives them to Kate, and I always think she should give them to Vera. <laughs> I feel like Vera really would have appreciated them. but Kate appreciated them. Did she? Okay, I don't know that we ever see Kate wear them, though. I don't know. I don't know that we do. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong, listeners. But with with the Patriotute phase, it, Vera like eventually outgrows it. You know, we have this episode where with Quincy, with the blood drive, an adorable little Quincy. Oh, Quincy. <laughs> and we see she she takes Quincy back to her room and gives him milk and cookies and he falls asleep. <laughs> and, and, you know, the next day she gets this mysterious coral dress and thinks it's from Quincy because she mentioned that, you know, coral was her favorite color. Uh, but it turns out it's from Marco and she, you know, goes to the to to the jewel box to give it back to Quincy because she decides she's done with with that phase of her life, and you know why? So why do you think that she kind of outgrows the whole patriotute thing? Well, it sort of coincides with the flirtationship, I guess, with Marco. So I think that's part of it, and I do think that because she was using it as sort of a healing. Or was using it as part of her healing process. I, I think that maybe she had gotten to the point where she felt more like herself or her old self, you know, mm -hmm. and didn't basically didn't need it as much is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I agree. And I think also we shouldn't discount 
you know, we mentioned that the fact that she really sort of thrived as an office worker. And I think that helped too, because mm-hmm. that built her confidence. She, she found a real sense of, I'm good at this. And people didn't expect me to be good at this, but I really am. Vera also has that great scene with Carol where they go to the women's group meeting where they're going to put together the ditty bags for the soldiers. And, you know, Carol clearly doesn't even want Vera there. But then Vera immediately sees how wrong they're doing everything and sort of is Vera (laughs) about it and just sort of says something about how how it's such a mess or whatever it is. Oh, the phrase that she uses is a cock up. Which is totally not the appropriate word to use in that setting, because all the women gasp, you know. But except for the head, the the Mrs. Beaverton, the woman in charge. Yes, Mrs. Beaverton. Thank you. Who's like looks? Who says looks like a cock up to me? Which always makes me smile. <laughs> <laughs> because finally, somebody who's not too polite, to be honest, mm-hmm. is sort of the impression I get from Mrs. Beaverton. Yeah, and so. So yeah, then Vera organizes everybody into a an assembly line, basically. And clearly, Mrs. Beaverton just really likes Vera, because why wouldn't you? <laughs> Much to Carol's annoyance. And Mrs. Beaverton really shows Vera a lot of respect for her. I think both the fact that she was a factory worker and clearly was injured, probably, through her work. Like, uh, Mrs. Beaverton really shows Vera a lot of respect for the fact that she's this kind of working class gal. And that's not something I think Vera was expecting to feel in that setting. She expected them all to treat her kind of like Carol does and really look down on her. Right. I always kind of get like a a similar vibe from Mrs. Beaverton that, that I get from Lorna. You know, that respect for the hard work and the same sort of values from is what I'm trying to say. So yeah, I think I think the fact that Vera finds something that she really thrives at, even outside of kind of her relationships with with Marco and with men, I think that that also helps kind of move her along and and not need the the patriotic part of her life anymore. Though I think she had fun with it. Like again, I I feel like the show does not present that that era of of Vera's story as a bad thing. Like this is Vera really hitting rock bottom. I think it's presented very compassionately and just sort of something that Vera used to help her get through a hard time. Right. I agree. But I really like, I I do really like when they move Vera into sort of her office worker role. As we mentioned, you know, I really like her conflicts that she has with, with Carol in particular. Yeah. Carol is not nice to Vera at all. No. Because it's one of those things I, I, had enough compassion towards Carol as Gladys's friend. She was a little on the shallow side, let's be honest, but she did genuinely seem to care about Gladys. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. But then, then we get into the office stuff with Vera, and Carol is just not remotely nice to Vera the entire time, pretty much. She's very snobby. She clearly looks down on Vera because she thinks she's just a factory girl. And the thing that I find really interesting is when we when we get Vera into the office, she's essentially occupying the place that Gladys was supposed to have, right? Gladys was supposed to be one of the secretaries up in the office. Right. And we really see Vera up in the office demonstrate that she really has these skills that are valued in 
Gladys's social class, you know, mm-hmm. because the way that she really thrives is she figures out kind of what motivates people and how to sort of charm them. Like, you know, she's the one who figures out, oh, these these young women, they don't want your beef tongue recipe, Mrs. Corbett. You think that's really practical and that's great. But what they really want is, you know, how to look good on a budget. You know, they she figures out the trivia game when everybody's sort of at each other's throats with when, when the new workers come to the factory. She figures out a trivia game to help kind of bind them together. She really has these kind of social skills that are valued in in Gladys's social class. Right. The men versus women trivia game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just thought that was interesting. It's like, huh, if if Gladys and Vera could have traded lives, <laughs> would they have been happier? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> but it, so I, I guess I think maybe that's partly why Carol is perhaps so hostile to Vera is, you know, her best friend was supposed to be there and they were going to have a good old time and that just didn't work out. Right. And it turns out that Vera's maybe better at office work than Carol is. And I don't exactly. think Carol likes that either. No, exactly. Exactly. Because we really see, and I and I love this episode, where they're both vying for the office manager job. And Carol just clearly thinks, of course, it's going to be me. Uh, but there's, you know, sort of this, who is Mr. Aikens going to choose? And that's where Carol gets really mean and nasty and outs to the factory that Vera's been a patriotute. And while Vera doesn't get the job because of that, I love that Mr. Aikens doesn't give the job to Carol because of what she did. Mm-hmm. Justice. Ha ha ha. And eventually she Vera does get a bit of a promotion though, because she gets moved to the more secure line, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so she gets a little bit more more money than Carol gets. But I I think that they then take her off of the the secure line toward the end of the second season. Right. Because of her association with Marco. With Marco. Mm-hmm. And then I think we also see something that arises from Vero being a, an office worker speaking of conflicts is she, she starts to have conflicts with Lorna. She does. And I find that kind of interesting because of course, in the first episode, Lorna really, really stands up for Vera at the hospital. So I don't know, maybe Lorna feels betrayed a little bit. Do we think? I think that's possible because clearly from the first episode, Vera was one of her girls, as she would say. I don't really like saying that, but Lorna would say it. She's She was one of her, her floor girls and she fought for her. And then when Vera comes back, she isn't able to stick it out on the floor. So I, I do kind of wonder if Lorna might not feel a little betrayed by that in a way. Mm-hmm. Because we, we really see, like you know, like I mentioned, when Lorna's kind of on leave a little bit after she had her miscarriage, I don't think she was working as much on the floor. So she is recruited to teach these classes to attract girls to the factory. And she's so excited with her beef tongue recipe. And it just kind of goes over like a lead balloon. Indeed, it does. And yeah, the the fact that I think not only does Vera not work with or for Mrs. Corbett anymore, but being promoted to the office, I think she's maybe on a little bit more even footing with Lorna. Yeah. And I don't think that goes over terribly well with Lorna either. Right. Because, of course, Vera really starts standing up to Lorna on occasion. And yeah, it doesn't go over well. Standing up to her as with the the little uh, seminars that they give. 
Yes. Yeah. So then an, another kind of prominent storyline throughout the series, it's it's more prevalent in the second season, is Vera's relationship with Marco. Because, you know, being kind of flirty with Marco in the first episode is partially what leads to her getting in, getting into her accident. Mm-hmm. So I guess in some ways, it's sort of understandable that that relationship sort of cools off for a while. Right. Because he's very apologetic about it. Like he comes and he's in the hospital to visit Archie and he comes and visits her too and ends up giving giving her the cannoli that he brought. But for sure, it's like, oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> it's it, That's something that's difficult to move past quickly. I, I think they really needed to, like Vera needed to process all of that before she could really befriend Marco again. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and Marco goes off and has his fling with Lorna. And then, but then in the second season, we really see their relationship develop more. And I, and I think it really sort of starts when Carol outs the fact that Vera is a patriot to the factory. It's Marco who comes and finds her after that happens and, and comforts her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Marco pretty consistently has been, I guess, like sort of a reliable, shoulder to lean on or, you know, uh, lending an ear, that kind of thing. Yeah. Of all of our, the male factory workers, Marco has consistently been the one who's been kind of an ally to the women. Right. And I mean, we have Ivan who's, who's a bit nicer too in the second season, but Marco's always from the beginning kind of had more of a buddy, buddy relationship with our core group of women Actually, what's kind of interesting, too, though, is that really the main core group of the, like, social group of the show is Gladys and Betty and Kate. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, Vera's storylines are more, I guess they're more solitary than theirs. You know, her storylines don't intersect with those three characters as much as those three characters' storylines intersect with each other. Right, because in the first season she's off at the hospital for most of the time, and and then we see in the in the second season since she's in the office, her storylines are very independent from the women who are down on the floor. Right. So what I was going to say was that her character interacts more with Marco than with the other the other factory girls. Yes, I agree. Because we do see them being sort of friends, even when they're not in their their flirty relationship. Yeah, there's something really kind of nice and modern feeling about Marco and Vera's relationship in the second season that they developed. Because it's kind of a, yeah, they're dating, but it's not this really the way that sort of Ivan and Kate were with like, you know, you're my boyfriend and I'm your girlfriend. And I think it, it emerges because both of them are fairly sexually liberated, as we see, you know, they're they both are have like kind of casual sexual flings and that's okay with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's something kind of nice and I'm not, I think they're dating. They're, they're cute and flirty. I think they're dating <laughs> in season two. Yes. And of course we got that great scene where Vera comes over. We we actually see Vera at Marco's house a few times, I think. Mm-hmm. And interesting things happen there. You know, she, she shows up once and, all of his neighborhood friends are over and Vera just joins them and makes wine. Even though she can't understand half of what they're saying because they're talking in Italian because Vera's 
Vera, she just kind of jumps in. It's like, cool, why not? Yep. And then there's the other time when she, I guess it's, is it the same time that she shows up for making wine after everybody leaves? She talks to Marco about Kate's burlesque act and Marco does his little own version of a burlesque (laughs) act for her. I think that might be the same time, but I do really love that scene. It's pretty good. (laughs) But yeah, I I really do like Marco and Vera's relationship. They very very much seem sort of promote for, well, in the beginning, at least. They're kind of like on the same page, which was not something I ever really felt for, say, like Kate and Ivan. You know, if nothing else, the lies, all the lies. But I, I, I do really like their relationship, but I, I, we see it kind of revolve a lot around food, which I kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> like we have where she, you know, they're making wine with their friends and, you know, he gives her the cannoli in the hospital. And I actually think it's really sweet where we see them kind of sharing Marco's lunch of like salami and provolone and stuff up on the, I think they're on the roof of the munitions factory. Mm-hmm. That is a good scene. Yeah. They are very sweet with each other, which yeah. I appreciate. Yeah. yeah, but you know, once once we see Marco's frustrations about how he's being treated, how he's being persecuted for being Italian, we really see that relationship unravel because he's really pushing her away, and that always makes me sad. Mm-hmm. That's why she gets taken off of the other line towards the right. end of season two, right? Is because she's in a relationship with Marco, right? So yeah, it's really tough, I think, to see that relationship unravel because this is really Vera kind of opening herself up for the first time since her accident with a, a real relationship. And from the same time, you know, we as the audience, I think we kind of understand where Mike Marco's coming from. I don't agree with his actions, but I kind of, I understand why he's feeling the way he's feeling. Right. But I'm, I'm glad that Vera doesn't like take his crap though. Like she, she gives him a certain amount of understanding but she doesn't put up with him being a meanie head, for lack of a better word, to hit to her for for too long. Again, I think they're very well matched. Yeah, because of stuff like that, they they will call each other out when necessary. So, but thank, but I'm glad that that they do manage to make amends. And as we see in facing the enemy, they they continued to date after the period of time after the the series ends. I was very glad when we when we saw in the movie that they were still a couple. Yes. So kind of, kind of circling back to where we started about Vera being a glamor girl, you know, like we mentioned, that gets deconstructed pretty quickly because of her factory accident. But I, I like how those, those skills, that aspect of her personality continues to be very important to who she is in the second season and, and kind of like very practical, ways though she's i feel like she's a little less vain in the second season than when we're first introduced to her Mm -hmm. but you know we we see her being still you know up to date on the fads drawing on drawing on the silk stockings of course and you know teaching teaching the class on on how to how to look good on a budget and then i really like the argument that she has with carol about the item for the newsletter about veronica lake right because of course vera has this article planned out and it combines safety and glamour or safety and fashion or whatever it is she says. Right. And she, there's even, she even makes the point that that's very important to her clearly because she was trying to look good on the line and ended up with a horrible, horrible scar. So 
I, I, I like that little, little moment for her where she's, it's like, yes, I still want to look good. I still, you know, value, you know, this is still kind of who I am. I like, I like looking good and knowing what the fashion trends are and things like that, but safety. <laughs> right. And then I also really like the storyline that she gets in the second season where she's helping Kate with her burlesque act. <laughs> Indeed. With the uh, pie plates. Yes. <laughs> and she is admittedly quite, quite a bit better at it than poor Kate is. I'm always amused in that scene, though, when Ivan bursts into the room and Kate immediately covers herself and Vera kind of casually strolls over to grab her robe. Mm-hmm. It's like, ah, Vera's like, whatever. <laughs> but I always really liked Vera's little apartment set that we see a couple of times in the second season. That was another thing that kind of seemed to separate Vera from the other two is we always see, you know, Betty and Kate hanging out in the rooming house, but Vera was generally by herself or with, with a gentleman <laughs> in her bedroom. I, we do see Kate in there when they're, when they're practicing for the burlesque act, but usually Vera seemed a bit more separated in her room from, from Betty and Kate. I think it's also important to mention in that same scene where she's showing Kate how to do the burlesque, Kate says something about, oh, I wish it could be more like you and, you know, so confident. And and Vera just kind of says, this is just an act. <laughs> I'd forgotten that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I just fake it. <laughs> so there's some good insight into Vera also. But but yeah, I, I, I love Vera. I think she's a great, great character. And... I'm, I think Anastasia Phillips does a, a great job with the role. And because I actually, I first saw her on a very, very, very short lived series that aired in the, in the US, Lucky Seven, where she had a, a, a supporting role part. And the show was not very good. <laughs> and the writing was not too great. And I was like, I didn't dislike Anastasia Phillips. But I wasn't like super impressed. And so when I saw Bomb Girls and I saw how wonderful she was as Vera, I'm like, wow, they really did not use this actress to their advantage on this show because I just think she's really great as, in, as Vera. So good. Yeah. So I guess those are our thoughts about Vera Burr. We would love to hear your thoughts about her. You can send those to us in a variety of ways. You can send us an email to bombgirls at drinksatthedoll.com. Doll is spelled D-A-L. You can go to our website, thebombgirlsbeacon.tumblr.com, and leave us a comment on the show notes for this episode. Or you could leave us an ask. Or you could call and leave a message on our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. And you can get updates on The Bomb Girls Beacon on my Twitter at ChrisGen, K-R-I-S-G-E-N. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And we'll see you next shift.